All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want more information about Team Rhino Outdoors, check out our website, teamrhinooutdoors.com. My co-host tonight is Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. You can find out more about Musky Mayhem Tackle by visiting muskymayhemtackle.com. And our guest tonight is Ryan McMahon with Twin Cities Muskie Guide Service or McMahon Muskie Guide Service out of the Twin Cities. Ryan, thanks for coming on tonight. How are you doing? Good, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So, Ryan, you want to give people a little bit of information about um, kind of your background and where they can get in touch with you if you decide, you know, after listening to you talk tonight, if they decide they want to jump in the boat with you for a day? Yeah, well, in, in the event that somebody likes this and actually wants to get in the boat with me, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> uh, you can get a hold of me. Uh, my website is TwinCitiesMuskie.com. That's the best way to um, check it out and got all my contact info there. Yeah. So basically I, I guide around the state of Minnesota and based out of twin cities, do most of my guiding there. So, um, yeah, if you're looking to get out in the state of Minnesota, give me a shout. So Brad, before we get any further again, single co-host today, no Carrie, what's the story? Well, Carrie's kind of in the dumps. No, uh, no different than you, Jeff. Um, she has probably the same cold you do. We have a little girl who is eight years old that brings home all kinds of stuff from school. So she uh, helped Carrie get sick and uh, so down and out. That's fantastic. I know exactly how she feels because the other day there was no chance I was going to do a podcast. In fact, tonight we might have to do a little editing of some coughing because, yeah, I know how she feels. It's not that much fun. And not unlike you, I have uh, four little ones that like to bring home everything. So now that school started, there's... Pretty much everybody in our house has been sick already. It's fantastic. Well, Ryan's up here doing some guiding with me right now, and uh, we were talking about it last night. He's got two girls at home, and we're kind of in the same boat. We were talking about how we can kind of normally hold out until about the end of the season, and when the end of the season comes, you end up crashing. Um, Really, we don't have time to be sick at this time of the year, but it happens occasion i know i've had ran a lot of guy trips where i had you know high fevers um hacking and whatever in the boat but it's never that fun and your head's all cloudy and you probably don't fish as hard and as good as you should but that's when it's time to go trolling and break out the suckers right (laughs) we're gonna talk a little bit about that today i think uh ryan is uh is a guy that you know he spends his time here in minnesota obviously in the twin cities just associated with his name, but uh, Ryan gets around the state of Minnesota as well, and um, he uses the sucker side in part of his arsenal for sure. Yeah, yeah. I um, started sucker fishing uh, later in my my musky career. Really, I mean, I've been musky fishing for like twenty years now, and um, started sucker fishing probably seven or eight years ago. Um, as I started guiding more and, and almost, I don't want to say did it out of necessity, but, um, a lot of these lakes that I, I've fished on, you know, got zebra mussels, got clearer. And I felt like with improving water clarity, that just became a really good option in the fall. And then with some of my clientele, you know, maybe guys that aren't strong casters and stuff, a lot of times they'd come out, they fish with me throughout the season and then. You'd hit it off, but maybe figure out the casting isn't really their thing. You say, "Hey, I got the thing for you. Come back in the, you know, in late October or whatever. We'll drag some suckers around and 
lo and behold, big muskies like suckers. So sort of just became the sucker guy now all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, the crazy thing, most of the listeners probably know this, but, you know, in Minnesota, it's one line per angler. And uh, so unlike, say, in Wisconsin, where, you know, you guys are dragging suckers and you're casting at the same time, a lot of times what happens, uh, and I know there's other guides out there that do this, they will run one or two suckers and then one guy's casting. Is that what you do, Ryan? Yeah. I mean, we'll, a lot of times I'm running just two suckers. So whether I got two or three guys in there, I'll run two suckers. I'll run them back on floats um, or bobbers. And I'm, I'm always in clear water. I, I maybe do it in some slightly stained water, but um, in the, the clear lakes, I like to get those bobbers back a little ways. Um, so a lot of times if we're casting, we're not, I'll usually bring one a little bit closer to the boat then, but tip, I don't know. It, I'm not kidding you though. Sometimes I'll have guys casting and if we're not getting bites on the suckers or if we're moving fish and they're not finding the sucker, I'll actually put what I call a casting ban on for like an hour or two. We talk about burning fish, you know, like if you got the wrong bait in the front of the boat and you burn that fish, it comes to the boat, it doesn't eat. It's the same with suckers. So I know a lot of guys like to be casting all the time and, and, ha- and you know, with the mentality that they're, they're going to bring the fish to the sucker. But I like to keep the boat right where the fish are to begin with and let them ambush, you know, and, and it, it's it's tricky because you got to snake those suckers through the weeds a lot of times. But I've uh, been pretty effective in the last few years. So. Do, you, uh, do you ever use any cleaner boards for your sucker rig? I, you know, I haven't, um, I've talked to a couple guys that do it and I, I think I'm going to, you know, I got the big TX 44 that might downsize a little bit and, uh, I might try that this year. Um, definitely have some runs that I do regularly on lakes where I think that would be super beneficial, especially in, in calm conditions too. And they're a little boat wary. That's a, that's an interesting approach there, Brad, with the, uh, planer boards. Is that something that you do or not? You know, I, I, I have sucker fished in the past, um, but I'm usually trying to trick them, not feed them. Um, I, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <Shots> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I honestly, I have no problem with it, but it's not. So what you're saying, what you're saying is you're better than us. That's what no, you're saying. No, I never went there at all. <laughs> That's so far from me. Um, but uh, no, seriously, I, I, I don't know. I still like throwing big rubber and and big wood and that's my thing my program in the fall and you know i I'm, i have no problem with it but I, I think it's it's an interesting concept i think everybody should try it and they should do it it's it's a learning curve um but i did build some boards and it was maybe one or two years ago for greg thomas he um he wanted some boards that we basically use like uh when we were trolling jeff you know that episode that that we did earlier this spring um, but I made like, I think there are 14 or 15 inch boards that he could pull suckers away from the boat. And so it was pretty cool. Um, I know he likes them. I, I don't know how much time he's got on them though, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, I fish in the same area as Greg a lot. I know he, he's running a lot of, uh, down rods, you know, just putting a bunch of weight on them and, and getting them down deep. And I'm usually fishing up in the slop a little bit more. It's funny though, comparing notes, you know, throughout the day, a lot of times, you know, one of us is shallow, one of us is deep, and a lot of times the results are pretty similar. So sometimes it doesn't matter. But I do, I really like the idea of being able to get those suckers where your boat is not. I, that's why I like wind. You know, it, 
ball, I love an inside corner, inside turn and a weed edge. And one of the things I like about that with a sucker is if I throw those floats way back, I can actually kind of cut the corner with my boat. So not go in as far and let those bobbers kind of swing in and flank in behind me. And so they're doing exactly that. They're getting where my boat was not. And very oftentimes you get bit in those inside corners. I think that's a valid point, Ryan, just in the simple fact that, you know, a lot of the water that you're fishing, the lot, the water I'm fishing, I mean, it's ultra clear today. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, if you were to talk to some of the walleye guys, what they used to do jigging off the side of the boat isn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to affect the muskies as well. And so being away from the boat is becoming a big factor for sure. Yeah. I mean, yesterday it was glass calm. I I mean, I was just standing up in my boat driving around and I told you, we saw, I mean, we just drove right over a big muskie, low 50 inch muskie. I was driving through pockets of weeds. You'd see a little bear patch. I'd see walleye sitting there. It was just like an aquarium out there. It's really hard to sneak up on those fish in those conditions. So, Well, Ryan, let's talk a little bit about rigging. I know there's a whole bunch of different rigs available on the market. There's the Pete Mano liftoff rig with the rubber bands. We sell a ton of the uh, Shumway Fuzzy Does It clip and go rig, that one that you know just pushes right through their nose. Do you do you purchase a rig or do you make your own rigs? Uh-huh. So I know that, like I said, there's a pile of them available. I know Stealth Tackle has a few available too. Um, just curious what what your preference is. Yeah, so I you know I've played around with some different ones. I've always had uh, Stealth Tackle uh, make up some rigs for me, and I, I usually go with it just an inline rig. Um, I've had a couple of dual lead rigs that I'll use. Um, as you start doing it a little bit more, you get you know different weather patterns or different stretches of time. It seems like the the fish will eat the suckers differently. So I'm I'm actually a lot of times I'm uh, you know rigging them a little bit differently. So I might use a couple of different rigs. But what I'm using, I would say 75 to 80 percent of the time is just that that inline rig. So it's a fluorocarbon lead tied to a solid ring, and then you have stranded wire that goes, uh, just one strand of wire that's got two trebles on it. So put a lead hook. I'll use like a little octopus hook that'll go through the snout of the sucker. That way I, I don't have to get into real cartilage or anything. That little octopus hook will just go through the rubbery part of their little sucker mouth. So it'll tear out of there real good and, and easily. And then, you know, on that, that hook set, you'll rip that lead hook out and pull the the trebles tight and I got the trebles usually I'll have one on either side of the sucker and then run that rig over the top of it but um what I've been doing a lot lately is putting both trebles on one side of the sucker um and that way it 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 feels like you're leaving a lot of real estate on that sucker you know without a hook but uh but in reality you're you know if if it's got a t-bone pretty good you're either going to get it in the upper palate or or the lower jaw and having them both on the same side and having one treble back a little bit further, it really it gives you a fighting chance when they with the tail grabbers. And that's what you'll usually see when the bite isn't as strong. In sucker fishing, you're going to have a lot of tail grabbers where they're just kind of they're just nipping and just beak, just like they do with baits. They're just kind of beaking at the sucker and they just get the last half of it. And um, a lot of times they're those are the fish that'll run away from the boat when you spin around and go back on them and they're they're the ones that you miss so um that's been a a pretty high batting average that we've had with with that where we put the two trebles on one side Hmm, that's an interesting approach i haven't done that either 
I'll have to consider trying that. Normally, I take the one long lead and put it on one side towards the back and the short lead on the other side towards the front. And uh, yeah, the one thing about sucker fishing is I can't say that it's ever been 100% effective as far as the hookup rate on it goes. I'm lucky if I get like 50%, it seems like. I know a lot of guys are higher. They're 80%. I'm just not that great, I guess. So I'm, I'm a little lower, but maybe I'll have to try that out. I know when we are out sucker fishing, uh, I just got done with a trip fishing up in Hayward with Steve and we had a little action on suckers, but we were, again, that day we were only like 50%. Sometimes it's the size of the sucker versus the size of the fish that you had too, because I think we had a couple of smaller fish, and sometimes those smaller fish, obviously, it's, you know, depending on where they take it, they got a less, lesser chance of getting a hook just because they don't have as big a mouth. No, that's that's absolutely right. And that's, and also too with your rig, I mean, if you're, you can't use the same rig with a 19 inch sucker as you will would with a 12 inch sucker. Right. So I'm in Minnesota. I mean, I big bait, big fish, you know, I used to like to, you know, I'd go in and I'd, I'd like to get like the 20, 21 inch sucker. And, and it was always fun to pull that out of the live well and impress your clients and, and uh, that type of thing. But really um, about a 16 to 18 inch sucker is about what I'm usually fishing with. You know, they, that's something that a, a big, you know, I'm, I'm trying to fish for, you know, 46 inch plus fish typically is kind of what I, my mind and, and, you know, they got, they got a yapper on them that can, that can T-bone a 16 to 18 inch sucker pretty good. And, and if you have those, those hooks in kind of the center main body or main part of the body of that sucker, um, yeah, you're going to get hooks in them. I'd like to think more than 50%. I, li- I like that you do that though, Jeff, you make me feel a little bit better because, I think, uh, I think I'm, well, I'd like to say we're closer to 80 than 50, but that's good. At least somebody's better than me. <laughs> I mean, there's a probably, there's probably a whole bunch of people that are better than me, but you know, at least, at least I made you feel a little bit. Better. Well, I can't get too arrogant though. Cause uh, yeah, just when you start talking like that, then you'll go miss five in a row. Well, I was going to say, and that's the thing about sucker fishing. I mean, there's times where you'll hook up on four straight and then there's other times where I'll, you know, miss three straight. It just, sometimes it's. Uh, about about you know the way the fish grabs it versus your you know where you're where you're uh, setting your hook back onto. There's a lot of factors that are involved onto it. You got to pay attention to that. Which I mean, let's let's talk about about that. So let's say if a fish grabs your sucker, Ryan, what's what's your tactics in the in the boat? Like, do you use the trolling motor to position yourself in a certain way of the fish so you can try to increase your hookup chances? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so that's that's a time of year where I'm I'm. Uh, I got my remote on my trolling motor and like I said, I got them back pretty far. So that bobber goes down. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get back there as quick as I can. Right. Um, that's why I, I really like to work into, and if I can, um, you know, 30 mile an hour wind or something like that might be a little bit crazy, but like to work the wind. So then if I get bit, I can spin around and fall back into that, that bobber quickly. Um, and basically what you're doing, the good bites, what I call the ambush bites where you bring it by, you know, some sort of structure, weeds or whatever, usually weed, you know, they're just going to bite and they you kind of have this like ominous slow pull down the break. Um, so what I'll do is I'll spin back around and I'll get on the inside of them. So I'll kind of go on the weed side of it and I'll wait for them to kind of pull back out when I get say 35 feet of line or something approximately. Um, I'll wait for them to kind of pull out and know that they're facing away from me. And you want it, it doesn't matter if they're moving or not. I actually prefer them not to be moving quickly, but you want them facing away when you set that hook. That is 
the most important thing uh, in my mind as far as setting the hook. You do not want – and sometimes they'll, they'll get crafty too. Sometimes if they run up onto the structure, they'll actually run to, up on the structure, they'll stop, and they'll spin around almost like they know what they're doing, and they'll look at you. So you can't just like let them run and then assume that they're still facing the way that they ran. I think sometimes they run up on top of these flats and on top of the structure and almost get lost. The big ones, they seem to bite and just move down that brake line. So go in position. I like to get on the inside, like I said. And then another really big thing, here's my pro tip of the day, setting the hook. Um, yes, you want the big hook set. Um, you want to break that harness free, but you can actually take a little something off that big Hercules hook set if you put just a little bit of slack in the line. So you reel down, get tight, get your line tight, but then dip just a couple inches, just dip towards that, that fish and put that slack in the line and it'll rip the harness out of the sucker way better than it will if you just pull on a tight line. I think one of the things, Ryan, that you should maybe mention is that's a key point because you want that sucker to go free. I mean, for some of the listeners, maybe they don't realize what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, you are that you want that whole entire rig. So however you have it secured, um, you're going to have some sort of a lead through the nostrils, or like I said, through the, the lip of the sucker, you need to rip that part free. And then the whole rest of the harness, that's, that's the business part of it there at the end are where the trebles are. And you want that to lift free from the sucker and into the muskie's mouth. Um, a lot of times you'll get maybe a weak hook set or, or something goes wrong and it doesn't break free. And you the fish is swimming around that sucker and you think you're fighting the fish. And then all of a sudden you go to dip the net in the water and that thing just opens its mouth and swims away and you never had hooks in it. Um, so it's it's really important to get that that hook set and break that harness free and actually hook the fish so you can fight it. Sometimes you get lucky and the fish doesn't really, you don't hook the fish and it doesn't open its mouth and then you get to net the fish and then you realize there's a hole in the net and they swim through it. A hole? Wow. Yeah. That, that happened. That, that actually happen. happened to us this year. If you watch our YouTube channel, Steve and I, we had that issue. I don't think I ever got hooks into the muskie. I sat on it twice and it fought you know, a little bit, but it didn't fight a ton. And then it just swam right up to the boat, had the sucker just chomped on it. And I'm like, you know, ironically we net it and I'm like, Hey, I think we got lucky. Cause I don't think it ever had hooks. And then we didn't get <laughs> so lucky because it found the first hole it could. And she was gone. Wow. That's like karma full circle there. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're like, Hey, all right. We, we, uh, we had a one up on the muskie and then nope, it, it one up to us again. So <laughs> That's just good YouTube footage, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was surprised though that we could even use the footage. I would, I, I could have sworn there was a few more f bombs <laughs> than what there really was. But I don't know. We were both a little upset, but I don't. I think we kept it together, which is surprising because I wasn't <laughs> real impressed. No. Well, talking about hook sets, let's talk about rods. I mean, what are we looking at using rods here, Ryan? Uh, for the live bait stuff, I'll, I'll use fiberglass rods. Main reason is just when it gets super cold out. Um, you don't want to be using your, your nice, uh, high buck graphite rod cause you can blow the thing up. Basically, you know, as stout of a fiberglass trolling rod as you can find, you know, I've, I've used a couple different ones. Um, oh, I think custom X has one. I've got a, a really stiff tooth tamer that works pretty good. Um, and I've got a, a Thorn Brothers one that I like. 
And I, it's, it's a trolling rod. I actually had to have them take a few inches off the tip just to stiffen it up a bit. But yeah, I mean, you, you want to drive hooks, but you also want, once that, once that hook is set, you know, you got potentially and hopefully a pretty big fish on a fairly short line. So you want that thing to absorb head shakes. So it's, it's with any musky rod, it's kind of, you know, you want the best of both worlds. You want to be able to drive hooks, but then you also want that rod to work for you once that fish is on and absorb those head shakes. So you don't force anything out or rip hooks out. So how, how long rods are you using, Ryan? Mm, usually an eight footer. Um, it's hard to find uh, a stiff fiberglass rod longer right. than that. Really. Right. Right. Are you using uh, counter reels or are you using? <clears throat> yeah. Yep. I like the, the line counters. It's always nice to be able to you know, know how far you got your bobber set back. But really, I mean, you can almost eyeball that part of it. It's after you get the bite. Um, and knowing, you know, cause if they run or if they're going down, you, it's really nice to know how much line you have out. If they go down the break and you can't see that bobber before you set the hook, um, knowing that you've got, cause sometimes you'd swear you got 30 feet of line out and you still have 70. Um, so that, that's a huge tool. I use the Shimano Dakotas had really good luck. I think in the way of line counters, I think that they're kind of the top end or whatever price wise, but, um, I mean, we're using these in, in pretty frigid time. I mean, last fall we had them out there in uh, sub-freezing uh, temperatures, I mean, for a week and a half, and the things held up great. On the gear end, that's pretty much the same type of stuff I'm using, Brad. I've, I, I basically use a trolling setup is what I do. If I'm not trolling for the day, I'll pretty much use my same trolling setup for sucker fishing. I've been using the Chaos Tackle uh, Assault Stick trolling rods. Eight, eight footers have been working pretty well. And same thing, like Ryan said, the Shimano Dakotas. If for anybody that's looking for a line counter reel, that's a really great line counter reel. It's also been, I don't know if you have the new ones, Ryan, you get the newer, lower profile ones, the ones that look like the, um, I don't know, like the, I'm trying to think, the the, four, the uh, Tranks 400s. Do you have one of those? Do you have those type? The line counters? Yeah. Uh, well, I think Daiwa makes a low profile line counter i i've not used those and then there is a new Dakota. yep the new Dakotas are more a low profile one is that okay yeah i guess i haven't looked at them that closely i no i i, I don't have one because i my the ones that i've got are have been bulletproof so i i only got a few of them because i've heard that the clicker that one downside to the Dakotas, and you might agree is the clickers are a little quiet on them versus like if you use like a mm-hmm. Daiwa C line or any of those, those clickers are loud as heck. Yeah. So the reason I upgraded to the newer ones is because I wanted to get I wanted to get the the line the line counter the clicker a little bit louder than what what we previously had. Yeah, you're right. I you know what I, I so I lied. I have played with those at least um, at, at the shop, and um, you're right. They are they're much louder, which is it's nice. I mean, especially in the wind or whatever. And you. You can you can tell a lot, you know, when a muskie's chasing a sucker, or you know, a lot of times there's a little foreplay before they actually bite it. So it's nice to be able to, you know, you kind of just like trolling, you you get your ear gets trained to the different sounds of the rips and stuff like that. So having that good clicker is is important. Yeah, it's not like the old ones. I mean, if somebody can find a deal on the older ones, it's not like those are. Um... It's not like they're super quiet, but the new ones are just a little bit nicer. So sometimes, you know, like you said, if the wind is howling or your motor's a little loud, if you're actually trolling and not just sucker fishing, it can help, you know, it can help you hear it a little, a little faster. 
little quicker, whatever. I'd use both. You know, the, the Daiwa makes it on the sea line, but I have a lot of Takotas, and they're early Takotas where they're probably a little quieter. But, you know, even with the motor noise and everything else trolling in the spring or in the fall, I've never had trouble hearing it because uh, you're pretty much like you said, Jeff. You're tuned in. You want that rip. So <laughs> you're you're listening for it. I, I've had some bad luck. I won't name any brand names, but um, some of the other reels that are out there that are line counters, um, I, I've had a lot of troubles with them and basically I've just thrown them in the lake because they lock up when it gets really cold. Basically, you're hand over handing fish in. And um, But both Daiwa and Shimano both make good reels that uh, I've never had any issues with. Come on, Brad. We don't have any sponsors. Let's bash some junk and get some people mad at us. <laughs> okay. No, that's no, let's not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> I think some of the companies that I, I, and I'm talking from 10 years ago or whatever, but some of those companies have uh, improved some of their, their products as well. But, uh, I, uh, you know, one bad experience leads you to not go there again, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're looking for a trolling reel, in my opinion, if you're going to buy them, they're more expensive, get a Dakota. That's my opinion. And I have no sponsors. I have to pay for my Dakotas, but that's what I, that's personally what I would do. Totally agree. The drag, the drag is smooth. Um, the line counter always works. I mean, they just work like Ryan was talking about. I've had them in really, really crappy weather fishing. I mean, I used to fish really late into Green Bay, like to the point where we couldn't troll everywhere because there was ice around us. And I've never had issues with them at all. I'm sure there's people out there that'll bash them because obviously with any product, there's some people that have had ne- negative experiences. But in my opinion, they're worth the extra money. And I've owned a bunch of different line counters. I think it's interesting because the only negative thing I've heard about them is the price. And I think trolling guys are like, it, for me, that's the cheapest musky reel I buy. So it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, they're like, whatever 180 bucks or something maybe a little bit more at the new ones but yeah get the good stuff and be done with it it takes hand lining one musky and whatever is was your failure point you're never going to use that product again so just yeah get it to Dakota, be done with it so let's let's talk one thing about the dakotas or any or any line counter for that matter size of the reel i personally use 500s on all my stuff i know a lot of guys are telling me i should be running 700s but when i'm trolling unless I'm I'm not using mass system, so I don't have a ton of line get to the end of the mast or anything like that. I don't see any reason why you need anything more than a 500 for what I do. Some people might think they need a bigger one. Do you know what size you're running, Ryan? Well, you put me on the spot here. They're, they make a 600, right? They do. Yep. I think I think that I've got the 600s. I um yeah, and but same with I mean I I've, I've got of course I I got I should mention this I've got heavy line on there. I've got Cortland Master Braid 100 pound. Um, which is a pretty thick diameter. So, and, and I've got a lot, I've had some, I mean, I've actually had some muskies that, you know, they eat a sucker, I'm in the wind and I'm, you know, getting downwind of them and they're running the other way. And we've got, we've actually a 52 incher when I first started doing this, like the first year that I was really sucker fishing, we got a 52 incher that it, I was trying to get back up and I actually blew a fuse, an inline fuse on my old trolling motor and was trying to get back up wind to the thing. And all of a sudden I'm watching the backer. I used the red Cajun line for backer and I could see this red stuff going through the guides and, uh, uh, good guess in my boat, this Ben that I, I fish with forever doing this. 
he's going, uh, Ryan, Ryan. And, uh, I jumped on the big motor real quick and fired the big motor up and chased her down. And by that time we got to the fish and he's like, should I hit it? I, yeah, just hit it. And so, um, but yeah, I, so you want, you know, you want 150, whatever, 200 yards, maybe just to feel safe. But you know, we're on my casting reels. I'm probably just putting a hundred yards on. Yeah, I know back in my early days of fishing Green Bay, I used to be running 300 series, and everybody thought I was crazy, but on Green Bay, I mean, I'm we're only fishing in 10 feet of water most of the time, or maybe 12 feet of water. A lot of times, I'm only running out 20 feet of line or so on my on my, um, on my my bait, so I don't know if you got 50, 80 feet of line on that thing. It seems like you're plenty fine, unless, of course, it makes a major run on you, but, you know, on those 300s, you can still hold, a, I don't know, probably at least 100 yards of line. I think, I think sometimes though, Jeff, too, I mean, I do run a mass system and in the spring, obviously. And, uh, honestly, I mean, I run 500s. I have no problem. I've never had a problem. And I'm not usually the kind of guy that gingerly brings this fish in. We're not fighting tarpon. They're muskies and I'll stand on them a lot of times. And I don't know. I've never, never seen my backing on casting or trolling either or but that's pretty cool that ryan has that's that's kind of a neat story uh, yeah, panic mode is a good way to describe that yeah it's all good yeah like i said i mean typically a 500 series reel is going to be just fine for you for doing what you need to do in most applications i think for fighting fish too you know sometimes a smaller reel is a little bit easier for you to handle you know if you have a big giant i've got pretty good size hands but Palming a reel is the way I choose to do it, but some people go in the foregrip. I don't know. You get that 700 series in your hand, that's a big reel, you know? Well, and especially now that everybody's used to such small, low-profile reels. And it's like, what's I'm just realizing this as you're saying it, when I have a guest come out and fish suckers with me, they're never touching that rod and reel until it's, it's game time. So all of a sudden, I put that rod and reel in their hands and say, all right, set the hook. And they've just been sitting for the last four hours or whatever. Hopefully not that long. But, yeah, I mean, you want it to be comfortable. You do. You don't want this big honking reel that's got the rod all out of balance and everything else. So that's a good point. So since we're kind of talking gear, and we're, let's just shift gears slightly, and, and on to big reels, the uh, Tranks 500 is obviously a giant reel. Is that something that you use also, Ryan? Yeah, you know, when those first came out, I got one right away. And I really enjoyed it. You know, it brought baits in great. Um, it was, it's been a really good, you know, bulletproof reel for me. But um, just the only negative for me, and and actually, it really didn't come to light until I started getting. Uh, I, I fished with a uh, Legend Elite uh, heavy uh, for most of my bucktails, and when I put that 500 on there, it was just, it was very heavy and almost felt like the rod was out of balance. And then when they came out with the Tranks 400s. I slapped that thing on there and I couldn't believe, I mean, it was the lightest and maybe is the lightest musky setup you can, a guy can really have, um, that's still got the power to throw cowgirl juniors, double tens, even, you know, I mean, I was throwing double tens with that setup tonight and it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how light and uh, small all this stuff has become over the last few years. So the only knock I can have on a Tranks 400 is the, for probably the first, I don't know, five six times you take it out there the drag seems to loosen up do you have that same problem so i've had i've had a few issues with them um the drag is one so 
I believe they've got that figured out. So they, if you take them in, like, you know, in the Twin Cities where I'm at, Thorn Brothers, you bring them in there, and they can actually, they'll do it. I think they bill it as service work or something to Shimano. I could be speaking wrong here, but I know that they'll do the work for you, right? Um, they'll add washers to the drag system. So they add these washers, and that'll take care of that problem. Also, another issue that I was having right away was the level lines on them. So there's that worm drive. And if you look at yours, um, if it's black, it's plastic. If it's, you know, metal, chrome color, then it's uh, aluminum or steel, I don't know, whatever. And so I think the first run of them were, were plastic and they were, the grooves were getting worn out or something. And that, that worm drive was, so you, that level line would stick on one side. So I've had all mine converted over and haven't really had a problem. Um, I've, you can actually add washers, I think, is it? Um, whatever was was at the pole or whatever what that goes into the worm drive they can actually stack washers in there too if that level line is giving you problems but i've had a level line issue with a couple of them as well but with all that said the cost and just the comfortability and the performance um that's my favorite reel at the moment i'm using, i'm running like six of them out of my bowl right now the 500 or the 400 the 400 i'm okay. sorry to and the 400 have those problems originally or so both the 500 and the 400 had i'm sorry no just the 400 the okay. 500 I, in in talking to to tong the real guy at thorn brothers he he'll say that 500 tranks is like the most bulletproof reel <clears throat> that they have come in there all he ever does is just like service them and or uh just lube them up and go through them so i you know it's it's a great reel it's built like a tank but it also weighs about the same as a tank. So um, I still use mine from time to time. If I, like if we're cranking big blades and stuff for a long extended period of time, I'll slap that on. But I, those 400s are so comfortable in my hand. On the 400, Ryan, do you have a preference on high speed, low speed? Um, I'm usually using the high speed for bucktails um even the even if i'm trying to go slow i still i'll just slow it down but i like i feel like it keeps me in touch with the blades a little bit more um i can feel the grind of the blades i know that they're going i like the power handle i know a lot of guys actually have put power handles on the lower geared ones which seems like a fantastic idea to me sounds like a good solution for bigger blades and getting a little bit more torque Uh, so i am going to try that but uh I don't know. It, I, I do use the low gear ones for quite a bit. Um, I, for some reason, just a lot of it boils down to um, what feels more comfortable. I like that paddle handle, like on jerk baits and uh, glide baits, even top waters. A lot of times I'm using the, the lower gear and the paddle handle. See, and, and for me, I'm a low, or low gear guy. Um, and the reason I am is because I do a lot of slow rolling and I want to feel that bait the whole time. I struggle when I get a high-speed reel. I'm like, man, I, I just feel like I lose contact with the bait. So, like, during the day, if I'm going at a high pace, I'm okay. But I really, really like to go slow, especially when it gets down to low light. And one of the other things that I would say is with the big old uh, the handles on there, a lot of times you cast and it whips over and clicks off. What you can do to to defeat that purpose that issue if you will is kind of hold the rod sideways a little bit of an angle and it won't roll over and uh stop your your bait midair 
I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I see that happen a lot in my boat. And um, it, that's probably, that, that makes the worst noise you can ever yeah. hear a reel make. <laughs> I think we've all you're been like, there. How is there any gears left? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, should we talk a little bit more about fall fishing and um, I guess baits and let's talk about rubber because obviously this is the time of year. I know, Brad, sorry, we're going to stop talking about blades here for a little while, although we could probably still talk about blades. I bet you there's some applications that you can offer guys for the fall, but let's, we, we can't talk fall fishing without talking rubber. So Ryan, why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, what you're using on the water for rubber is it, I'm assuming it's probably the two of the, of the major ones, either, um, Husky Medusas, regular Medusas, mag dogs and pounders. And you want to talk a little bit about how you work it and the gear that you use for running rubber in the fall yeah so you're right i mean i've i've in the in the fall time i've caught more fish my boat has caught more fish on i'd say mag dogs and pounders than any other kind of rubber and and actually we had a really good run when the double dogs first came out man we 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 beat the heck out of the fish on those things and, and a lot of it was just straight cranking the, the double dogs and it's kind of funny because i feel like there's there's more of a emphasis or highlight on swim baits these days. And um, basically when I look back, that's pretty much how we were using those straight cranking those kind of stair stepping down the edge, if you will, you know, casting to a weed edge and kind of walking them down that and then just straight cranking them back to the boat. So there's, there's that sort of a retrieve. And then there's the ripping retrieve that uh, I think most people are, are familiar with when i'm doing either one i like to use a a lower geared rod or i'm sorry reel you know and i know some people really like a high speed reel to pick up slack when they're ripping but i feel like when i'm doing that i'm not letting the bait get down as much as i need to and it's not stalling out and i think in fall if you're ripping it's it's important to get that nose pointed down and let it drop down. I think that's a big trigger for these fish when the water's cooling down. And then for like, you know, rods and reel setup for your for rubber in the fall, what are you using for rods? Basically, Thorn Brothers Predator extra heavy or double X heavy. You know, you're going to want a pretty stout rod. It's going to wear you out if you don't have enough backbone. Um, their double X heavy is an interesting rod. It's actually, for such a stout rod, it's actually got pretty good, it's pretty fast action. So it's got some some action towards the tip so you're you are feeling stuff so if say you are uh straight cranking one of those baits you know you can feel those tails working and feel if they're fouled or not so that's that's been a good one but basically you know anything x heavy or double x heavy i've had a couple of like real cool q triple x heavy rods over the years and you know they're they're fine for throwing the baits but again i mentioned earlier you know it's always that balance you want stiffness to get the bait out there or whatever um but then once you hook the fish you know you still want that rod to work for you and by work for you i mean bend and and absorb head shakes and you get that big fall monster that's shaking its head um close to the boat and if that rod isn't bending you it's like ripping the rod out of your hands and that's that's not a good feeling either i've been in that situation with those extra stiff rods and i I don't like it (laughs) Yeah, it's it's the shock absorber, if you will. You know, I mean, you you've got your drag, but that rod needs to take the shock. Exactly. So, 
Yeah, for a little while, I think guys were using like, I think Muskie Innovations made a rod that was like 4X. And that thing, like you said, that was just like a pool cue for sure. It was ridiculously heavy. For people that are looking, I, can, you, can you give me a cost range on that Thorn Brothers Predator rod? And then I'll, I'll offer up, I'm assuming, a, a lesser price suggestion for guys. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think they're going to run about 400 bucks, depending on options, that type of thing. Um, you know, and they're all custom. So, you know, one thing with a with a big rubber rod, it's nice to have a, a longer butt end sec- section. So, you know, 18, 19, 20 inches even on a on a butt end section. So something like that is, is you know, why you might pay a little extra money for a custom. But um, yeah, I know I know that there's plenty of good options out there. And, and that's the beauty of it nowadays is there's there's different price points. And yeah, I'll let you mention them right now because i don't i'm not even sure what else is out there <laughs> well certainly there's you know i've heard a lot about the about that predator rod and how good that one is because the one thing i think about st croix's lineup is they don't really in my opinion they don't really have a great rod for throwing big rubber although i have heard that they came out with that rubber rod that had la um like a foam it had like a foam cork combo on it i haven't played with that one but that's in the premier lineup so i'm assuming it's a little bit heavier yeah, I think that I think that butt end is like as thick as my calf. <laughs> I th- I think it is also. <laughs> I looked at one. I looked at one this spring, and I just didn't. I don't know. There was just like you said, it just seemed too big to me. But I've heard of guys that use it, and I've heard it's a great it's a great option, and it's a less you know it's a less expensive option. The other option you could go with would be like the Chaos Tackle Assault Stick Rod. They have that shock and awe rod, and I've played around with that the last couple weeks throwing rubber. And for a rod that's $179.99, it's a really good option for guys that want a budget option. Now, we should, you know, say that typically in rods, you get what you pay for in a sense. You know, I'm not trying to say that one rod's, you know, one rod will work great for for one guy and another rod will work great for another guy. But typically, the higher price rods are a little bit lighter. Potentially, the guides are a little bit better and, and, and so on. So, but for guys that are looking to get out and throw some big rubber, you don't necessarily have to buy a $400 rod, but if you want a little bit lighter option, that's probably a good way to go. If you want a cheaper option or a less expensive option, I'd probably look at the chaos shock and awe rod. What do do you offer, Jeff? Um, For our website, we have the, we list the chaos rods and we list the stuff from Tackle Industries too. Tackle Industries has a rod that's $150 also. It seems like the more popular of the two is certainly the shock and awe rod these days. It's for like the shock and awe, either full grip or split grip is for sure the most popular option that we offer. Although, you know, for I think $150 chaos tackle and that's $150 shipped to your door, um, not including tax was, is a good option as well. Both of them have a really good warranty, but again, in, you know, in a sense with a rod, I don't want to say that you know, they're junk cause they're not, but you get, you know, in a sense you get what you pay for too. I mean, the rod blank is going to be a little bit heavier. You know, all about, you know, the rod industry, Brad, so you understand the different options that are going to make the price go up a little higher. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, it's interesting. Um, Ryan's talking about, uh, the Thorn brother rod just the other night I went online and went to Thorn brothers and you can basically build your whole rod right on their website. It's crazy. I mean, it, you want titanium? It's a hundred ninety-nine dollar option. Um, titanium guides. I'm talking. You can add it up really, really quick. Um, but you know what? Hey, it's about fatigue, and fatigue is a big thing. I mean, you fish eight, ten, fourteen hours. You know, 
fatigue is a big thing. So titanium, $200, well, maybe you should do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think with especially, it's one of those situations where a lot of times you don't know what you're missing until you, you've used it, you know? And if you, if you're just starting musky fishing, 200 bucks for titanium guides might be lost on you. Right. You know, but if you're using a, you know, if you using a heavier rod or whatever, and, and, um, and then you kind of graduate and decide you want to invest in a nicer one, you're going to, I think, enjoy the benefits of it for sure. So I think that's what I was going to say. If you're a weekend warrior and you're going out there, you probably don't need to end up going high end, super high end, especially, you know, if it's only, you know, I mean, I don't know how many guys are out there pounding for 12 hours a day in the fall. I know obviously a lot of the people that we know are because like the people we know are a little more hardcore, but I think your average angler, he might be done after six, eight hours. And whether, whether he does, whether he has that high end rod or not, he, he might be done. I mean, you probably see it, Ryan, as a, as a guide, you have all sorts of skill level in your, in your boat. I would say the majority of the people that you take are probably not hardcore. I'm guessing. Right. Right. I mean, and, and, you know, there's two ways to look at that because, you know, I mean, maybe you're going to, you're not going to fatigue somebody as quickly with, uh, you know, and, and I see that I get people on their best day too, though, right? I mean, you guys show up and, and they've been looking at this day for a while and they're excited. So they're fishing hard, but no, certainly, I mean, if you're going to go and, you know, you're going up North for the weekend or something like that, and you want to maximize your trip and fish as much as you can. Yeah. I mean, you're, you will enjoy that nicer rod and, and the fatigue factor might come into play a little bit. I mean, probably all kinds of stuff that, that factor in there, but, um, but no, I mean, there, I, I guess at the end of the day, it really is nice that there are these different options and it's not like, you know, the $150 option is going to just like fall apart in your hands when you set the hook. I mean, these are good rods. They're, they're certainly serviceable rods and, and it just basically, yeah, like we're saying, the more you pay, the nicer, the lighter, um, and, and then the custom aspect of it too. As you fish more, you're going to know what kind of butt end you like, what kind of grip you like, um, you know, so then you can start to customize a little bit. Heck, they'll even put your name on it for you. So there you go. <laughs> so let's shift away from rubber and rubber rods for a minute. Brad, you don't, you don't always get a chance to pimp your own products on this web, on the uh, podcast. And I know you don't always like talking about your products, but let's, let's spend a minute and talk about blades for fall, and Ryan can jump into. There has to be certain instances where you're still throwing blades deep into the late, you know, into October. You want to talk a little bit about what products would fit into certain niches, Brad? Because I know it's kind of like pulling teeth to get me to get you to talk about your own product. I know we talk about your stuff enough, but let's you know let's infomercial for Musky Mayhem for a minute and, and help guys. Because I I see the sales on the website. I know what guys buy typically this time of year. By about late September, we don't see many blade sales, but I'm sure there's still opportunities to catch fish on blades, correct, Brad? Oh, hands down. I mean, I, I've <laughs> I've casted blades right up till ice up. You know, literally the ice is uh, developing right around us. I don't know how many years ago it was, but I, I did an article in Muskie Hunter magazine that was um, muskies in deep freeze. And what that was about was literally ice around us fishing still fishing blades blades can be effective but the thing that you got to consider is, is speed of retrieval and um, speed of retrieval is a huge issue you've got to slow things down and um, as these fish you know as it gets colder and colder slowing things down really becomes a 
key factor in, in musky fishing. And, and I, I still think speed of retrieval is maybe number two or number three to the whole game of fishing. Weather trumps everything. There's no doubt about it. But uh, speed of retrieval becomes number two or number three. So, you know, big blades, you can hang them. You can go slow. So looking at, you know, a double cowgirl or a supermodel really becomes a, a big factor when the water gets cold. All right. So let's talk a little bit. Let's dive in that a little bit deeper. So typically as we get into later fall, we're fishing deeper water. We're fishing deeper breaks, sometimes even further out into open water. So if you're going to cast blades, because I'm sure at this time of year, I'm assuming you're still using blades when you push out to that break. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, some of the waters that I fish and some of the waters that Ryan fishes, we are, we're sliding out deeper. There's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, even at this time of the year, mid-September, you'll see it. Trans- <laughs> there's like this, how do I even say it? You know, there's a time frame where the first water temp cool down these fish are going shallow. Why are they going shallow? They're looking for the warmest water. They're looking for that warm sun to warm them up, whether it be rocks or maybe it's really dark weeds. I know Ryan just mentioned this a week ago when we were talking. He's like, man, these fish are not using the cabbage. They're using like this dense, um, uh, not milfoil, but uh, coontail. coontail. Mixed greens. I mean, it was like everything in these weed beds. The darkest stuff you could find, right? They're using it because it's warmer. So as you transcend into the late fall, um, there's no doubt about it. I mean, they're going to be shifting out a little bit deeper, but they're still using that same stuff. So um, that that's a huge key to the whole success with blades or, or rubber or whatever else you're using. Look for that warmer water. Well, I'll tell you one thing too, Jeff. I'm sitting here in the Muskie Mayhem shop right now. And um, they've got an answer for every situation, blade-wise. And, like, right now, we're in September, and, and, I mean, things are going to change so much, as we we all know here, in the next couple weeks. And they already have changed. And the, the weather that we get nowadays, it's not just your nice gradual drop. I mean, you get these crazy cold fronts. I mean, it was like 88 degrees out today. I mean, we get warm weather. And, you know, at one moment, these fish might be sitting in four feet of water in the sand and they want a rabbit squirrel scream by them at 100 miles an hour. And then the next day they're sitting off the break and you have to crank a supermodel or a double 10 just fast enough to get the blades turning. So, I mean, I'm looking at all kinds of different blade combinations here, sizes, styles. It's really I mean, you guys have an answer for basically every situation, every speed, every depth um everything you need to do and it it is you got to stay on your toes and be able to adjust day by day hour by hour even i agree ryan i mean it it has been (laughs) yesterday was warm and flat today was 20 to 30 mile an hour winds and the fish kind of went they went up shallow again you know Mm -hmm. um yesterday we I mean, we've seen fish shallow, but were they active? No. So they kind of slid out and started using the deep break again. Yeah, it, it's there's so many different equations in this whole deal. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, I mean, if they're shallow and you're, say, you're fishing quick with a small bucktail, and then you find them out deeper the next day, you can't you can't expect to go out there with that same small bucktail and fish fast over the top. I mean, that's where 
you know, getting back to the, the late fall thing, um, you know, well, and even this time of year, I, I love, I don't do a whole lot of night fishing anymore, but I like fishing into the dark a little bit now. The days are shorter, so I can, I can put up with staying out a little bit after dark. I mean, the supermodel, I mean, double 10 supermodel, big blades, those baits this time of year fish very slowly. The thing I like too, is you can fish them slow when you're still up on top of structure. Um, you can get that fish just under, or get that bait just under the surface and bulge it for those fish that are sitting up on top and don't want to chase something down 100 miles an hour, which they usually never do after dark, right? So right, slow is better. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say that I don't know how I don't know how the fishing's been this week for me personally, but I was happy to see the weather get warmer because I was actually afraid we were going to see turnover in September. The way things started out, things had dropped ridiculously quick. I'm sure it was the same over in Minnesota as it was over here. Yeah, there's no doubt, Jeff. I mean, our temps, they swayed really, really quick, quicker than ever, you know. And I was in the same boat. I'm like, wow. You know, we dropped from 70-some degrees down to bottom 60s on the surface, right? Things have kind of slowed down. Um, We had 70-degree water again. Um, You know how it bounces back really quick with uh, calmer days and Mm -hmm. big, bright sun. The sun still got a ton of power, so... You know, it it uh, it always equals out in the end. Yeah, like I said, yeah, I I thought we were going to be in for an early fall the way it looked. You know, super early fall the way things had looked. Like we'd be icing up by like the middle of October the way it was. It was ridiculous. But um, so far, it looks like we're going to be able to fish a little longer than that around here. I know last year though, it seemed it seemed similar. We got I think it was like mid to third weekend of October. I was driving up north to go fishing. And there was a few of the smaller lakes, like the smaller, like pond type lakes that were, had already skimmed over at that point. And it bounced back after that too. We got to keep fishing for a little while. Like you said, mother nature seems to balance out, but it's good because I'm not ready for winter yet. I don't think any of us are. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely not. No, I've had too many conversations with different vendors about musky expos lately and i'm not ready to talk about that yet either so we're not going to talk about that tonight because i've already had too many conversations i'm thinking man we can't already be there it seemed like it was just april the other day (laughs) i agree all right well it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't talk about electronics of some sort but in this case let's talk a little bit about maybe um because ryan you recently just got the mega imaging but off but before we started recording you were talking about how yeah it's helped you but it's not the end-all, be-all. You want to talk a little bit about what you've learned from the side imaging this year and stuff maybe where you're thinking it's not quite as important as what other guys do, just kind of contrast it, you know, because there's obviously some guys out there that the the technology isn't that cheap, you know, and we're always looking for, you know, we don't want to discourage guys from getting out to fish if they don't have side imaging thinking they can't catch them. So that's where you come in. I want you to encourage guys that don't have it how they can still catch it and what you've learned it from this year by having it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I sort of a self-proclaimed uh, low tech fisherman, right? I always have been and, and uh, found myself in a predicament last year where I, I had a unit kind of go out uh, due to water damage. And so I had to get new, new units and, and went with the hummingbird mega imaging this year. And, and um, you know, I've had a couple of times, uh, you know, like right now, you know, right now, a lot of the fishing we've been doing and, and back in town, especially we've been fishing really shallow. Okay. And, and I'm able to see some weeds. It helps me, but I'm not really marking fish in the, you know, when I'm in 
four feet of water and sloppy weeds around me. It's hard to pick that stuff up. Um, you know, back in June, I have a couple of stories where, um, you know, fishing off the brake lines and we'd mark a fish and I'd say, Oh, you know, wow, there, there's a muskie. That's definitely a muskie. It's laying underneath us. It's right on bottom. That thing's not going to bite right now. So I don't even think I have a story where we came back the same day, but I, I know one for sure. Um, went back the next morning. We had a, a major, a minor, I can't remember, right away in the morning, uh, went right to this spot and caught one. So, you know, there's, there's, you know, those situations, I don't have like that aha moment though, where I'm like, oh, there, you know, there's one in open water and I drove over and casted to it. And uh, next thing you know, things in the net, you know, right now, um, I'm still kind of getting used to it, getting dialed in with scrolling speeds on my screen and that type of thing. Um, really looking forward to using a little bit more sucker fishing wise. But for the guys that don't have it, I mean, I still, I mean, when I started musky fishing, there were no GPSs, right? And then we got into the handheld GPSs that were, they helped, but they were, you know, they didn't even always tell you where you were. They'd show you at one point and then they'd had the little icon with the question mark. And then all of a sudden you're 350 feet over the other direction. So I still think um, right now, I think that the GPS and the mapping are the, the steps that they've taken the last 10 years and, and how they've improved. That's what I'm using. So uh, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, yesterday was so calm and so sunny. I was able to just drive around this lake and look for patches of cabbage okay and then i'm marking those on my gps okay i might not fish it you know at high noon flat calm and sun but when that sun gets to the tree line i'm going to go and hit these little patches of cabbage i know where they're at because i just marked them on my highly accurate gps so that kind of stuff um the mapping nowadays i mean guys will you know sometimes you know scoff at 120 bucks or whatever for a, a map card my lord i mean those things uh, they might be off a little bit here and there nowadays, but I mean, they are, they are good and you got to know where you're at on the lake. Um, so use that GPS, put eyes on weeds, put eyes on, on spots. If you're in dark water, use your sonar. Um, but mark these spots, you know, weeds, rocks, um, they'll change a little bit. Rocks won't of course, but you know, that's where I'm putting my, my waypoints a lot of times is, is on the good patches of weeds. Sure, I'll mark, you know, caught fish or good follows, but um, knowing where you're at, knowing where that structure's at, because when it's prime time, you your cast got to be landing where the structure is. So I think that, in my opinion, you know, just really knowing how to work your map and knowing where you are is uh, is probably the most important thing. Yeah, I think I think we can all agree on that. I'm, it's good to hear you talk about. I would say like going out and just fishing normally using, using your, you know, your map, using your eyes, actually visually seeing the structure, putting the puzzle together. Cause I think that there's certain people I, and I've heard stories about certain guys that literally will not fish anything unless they side image a muskie and like certain structure. I like, if you're weed fishing, I don't always find it to be that way. We've caught lots of muskies this year and we haven't side imaged all of them. Every single one. In fact, last weekend we side imaged a whole bunch of them. And they didn't all bite, you know, so just because you know, they're, you know, it help, it's helpful to know they're there. Like you said, at least it gives you the confidence to come back to the spot and maybe hit it again. But it's not a guarantee that you're going to put fish in the boat. Right. I think, I mean, a lot of times I think when these fish are in ambush mode and they're tucked into the weeds with their nose sticking out on the edge, you know, you're probably not going to see those fish. The ones that I have 
side imaged have been off the break and low, you know, so I don't know what that tells you. I mean, yeah, I think when they're on the bottom, they're usually not very active, right? Um, they, they always speed up, I guess. So you, you could argue that, but no, I, I, if, if you're not marking fish, I wouldn't let that discourage you. A good spot's a good spot. And if there's cover, those fish are going to be in the cover. So yeah, I mean, you have to fish every spot thinking that there's going to be a fish there. Um, whether you see it on, on the screen or not. So, well, I think that I've gotten emails through our backlash podcast email and people it's, they ask almost like questions about, well, would you still fish a spot if you don't side image a fish? And the answer that I would give them is yes, I'll still fish it, especially if I know it's a good spot. I mean, if it's a spot that I've, I've caught fish on or seen fish on before, just cause I don't side image one that time doesn't mean I'm not still going to fish it. So I don't, I don't want guys to get discouraged by that. One of the things too, to consider Jeff is that when you're, you know, we've had tons and tons of wind this year, right? And when you're looking at your mega imaging, if you're side drifting, you're not getting as accurate of a reading, you know, and we've done a ton of side drifting basically. So, you know, drifting the side imaging becomes troublesome. I'm I'm looking forward to that Mega 360 that they're going to be coming out with. Um, I think it's available in December. I'm anxious to see what that really does. But, you know, you can't rely totally on the electronics. There's no doubt about it. And um, a good spot's a good spot, and a muskie's a muskie. So at the end of the day, put your time in, and uh, when you have that good spot, make sure you fish it. Yeah, like I said, I I just don't want people to be discouraged thinking I don't have the latest technology. I can't catch these muskies because we used to catch muskies before without it, and we could still catch them with it, you know. So I just don't want guys to think that they can't catch them. Hands down, you're right, Joe. I mean the uh, the objective of our podcast from day one has always been to present information to people to help them catch more muskies. So we're hoping we just so we give you different options. We give you different electronics options that can help you put more fish in the boat. But we certainly don't want anybody to think that just because you don't have side imaging that you're defeated by going out there. Because, I mean, there's times I fish, I don't even turn it on. I'm just, all right, I know this spot's pretty good. I want, I don't, I don't, I don't need it. Or I don't want to screw around with it to put it on or whatever. I come up with different excuses, but you know how it is. Well, at the end of the day, I mean, it's like anything you do in life. If you can put an advantage in your pocket, that's what you need to do. You know, ultimately. Not everybody's going to do it. I get it. I totally understand it. But um, I'm a freak when it comes to if I can put an advantage in my pocket to put the pieces of the puzzle together, I'm going to do it. So, you know, and, and that's me. I'm not saying that's everybody. So, Well, I think all three of us on this podcast are to the point where, I mean, if, if, we, if we bought the next tool that would help us put two extra muskies in the boat that year, we would spend $500 or $1,000 to get it. There's a reason why you want 360 mega imaging, and there's a reason why I'm interested in it. And that's because I'm thinking to myself, if it can help me put three extra muskies in the boat, I'm probably going to look into it. Fortunately, you know, I'm in a position where I can purchase it, but I understand how guys would balk at, want, you know, not wanting to spend the money on the upgrade. Yeah, you're right, Jeff. I mean, I, <laughs> I guess uh, ultimately it's a sickness, right? And um, it's beyond that. Yeah, beyond that, you're right. I mean, I, ultimately, we are we're a bunch of whack jobs, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see here. It's um, 
It's a Friday night. This is for, for guys that are interested in the date, it's the 20th of September. It's a Friday night. It's 20 after 10. And we're talking, we're recording podcasts talking about muskies. That there alone should tell you about the level of the sickness. Yeah. And Ryan and I got off the water early to get on this podcast. And we haven't had dinner. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with us. Lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> the list continues yeah. to grow. Yeah, I don't yep. even want to think about all the things that are wrong with me. Yeah. Long, long season, long, long day, but you know what? I can't wait to get up and do it again tomorrow. <laughs> well, especially if you guys got rid of the wind and stuff already, hopefully it calms down tomorrow. I know we're, we're apparently supposed to get what you guys got today because it's supposed to be 20 to 30 miles an hour and raining and stuff tomorrow. I don't know. Did you guys get rain today? No rain today. Um, it's supposed to rain like at three in the morning. Um, I've seen some lightning on the way home, but uh, we're going to deal with uh, 15 to 20 tomorrow as well. So we've had so many wind days you can't even imagine. Yeah, I know we talk about it every podcast, how crazy the weather's been, and this week is no different. This whole month has been no different. We went from you know, low nights in like the 38 degrees to, I mean, today over here by me, it felt like middle of summer, it was 80 and humid. And it's just been crazy how, how this whole year has been crazy. We've had tons of rain. I'm sure every, most people in the, you know, in the listening area of this are in the Midwest. I'm guessing they're probably in the same boat. I bet you we've had no less than, I think they said the other day that we were like a three quarters of an inch away from setting a record in September. And we still had like whatever it was, 10, 15 days to go to get that three quarters of an inch. There was two, a two day stretch where we had like seven inches of rain over two days. It's been unbelievably crazy. The river by my house has probably come up. I don't know. I'm guessing three feet in the last week. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, a road right, right next to the house here. Um, it's gravel. And, um, the only time I ever see it flood is like the beginning of spring, you know, um, melt off with the snow and what have you. It's been flooded multiple, multiple times all summer. So I don't know. We're, we're definitely, we're getting our moisture. Well, a creek coming into Miltona there too. I, I didn't even know it was there cause I've only fished here later in the year. And you said, yeah, it comes in pretty good, you know, and, may and june whatever the thing is gushing right now i mean it's it is it's putting a lot of water into that lake i mean it's i fished in front of it today it was incredible well guys um you got anything to add tonight so otherwise i think we'll probably wrap this up brad so you guys can eat dinner and get ready to go do it again tomorrow i'm gonna go watch my son play flag football so there's no fishing for me this weekend and then i'm gonna hang out in the shop and try to catch up on putting things online Speaking of putting things online, hopefully by the time you hear this podcast, we will have Backlash Podcast t-shirts and sweatshirts, and I think they're I think we're going to put them available on both Muskie Mayhem Tackle website and the Team Rhino Outdoors website. Is that not kind of the plan, Brad? I think, right? No, I, I think you're dialed in there for sure. All right. So, if anybody that, you know, if you if you're looking to support the podcast in any way since everything we do here is 100% for free, we don't get any sponsorship money from anybody. Oh, I lied. Hummingbird did send us a t-shirt, Brad, so I got that going for me. That's <laughs> pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, no doubt about it, Jeff. I, I, uh, it's kind of funny, you know. I mean, that wasn't the objective. and um, But we have. We've talked a lot about side imaging and mega. And, um, yeah, we got some t-shirts and some sweatshirts, so that's pretty cool. Yep. 
So at least they appreciated us talking about that. So, I mean, technically, technically, you could probably almost like say we're like pro staff, right, Brad? Isn't that how that works nowadays? If we got a free t-shirt, we're pro staff? Yeah, I, that's the way I look at it. <laughs> yeah, I, I still got to pay full price for the for the units, but I got a sweet $15 t-shirt out of the deal. So that's awesome. <laughs> exactly. All right, Ryan. Well, why don't you tell people again how to get in touch with you if they uh, want any, if they want to book a trip or get out fishing with you? Uh, you can find me at TwinCitiesMuskie.com. So uh, I, I got my contact info there. Um, if it's during the season, the best way is just I got my phone number all over that website. Just shoot me a text or give me a call. Uh, I'm not the best with the emails right now, but uh, in the wintertime, different story. I'll get right back to you. But um, yep, Twin Cities Musky with a Y. Muskie with a Y, TwinCitiesMuskie.com. And Brad, why don't you talk about Muskie Mayhem Tackle? Well, we've got, uh, obviously, you can reach us at our website with MuskieMayhemTackle.com. Um, you can email us through that, as well as Instagram and uh, Facebook. And we'd love to hear from you, and definitely check us out. And you are listening to Backlash Podcast, and you can find us wherever you just found us now. You could also find us again on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and TuneIn Radio. You can email us at backlashpodcast at gmail.com. And I said it last episode, I'll say it again. Because Backlash Podcast is kind of a nonprofit deal that we run on the side, essentially, um, we don't always answer the emails like immediately. We will, we will get back to you and we'll try to answer your questions or we'll try to, you know, we'll, we'll note that you have a question and we'll try to answer it during a podcast. And so that's just kind of how that is with that. So be patient with us on the backlash podcast, Gmail, and you can also find us on Facebook and you can find us on Instagram. If anybody has any guests they want us to reach out to, we've heard about some river guys and some other stuff guy. I had a guy yesterday wanted me to try to contact somebody from Michigan or fishers in Michigan. If you have any of that type of stuff, email it to us, post it on our Facebook page. Let us know some guests that you want to see or hear from. Brad and I have access to a lot of people in the fishing world, but it may not be somebody that you think of. And just because they may not be, you know, known regionally doesn't mean we don't want to talk to them. We're literally willing to talk to just about anybody about fishing, especially when we get to winter and we have a few more, a little more spare time. I think Brad and I are going to try to actually put out some bonus episodes like we did in the beginning to just try to put out a couple extra episodes for you guys. And we can certainly use additional guests for that. Um, as far as Team Rhino Outdoors goes, you can find us at teamrhinooutdoors.com. Uh, for people that don't know, we sell a lot of musky gear for from pretty much everybody in the musky world just about. We got some new crankbaits recently from a bunch of different companies for fall, so that's pretty cool stuff. We just got loaded, like I said earlier. While these guys fish tomorrow, I'm going to be working on the website, updating some stuff. We have some Sims gear we've been having sitting around for about, I don't know, six, eight weeks that should probably get online eventually, but I've been spending too much time fishing and filming for YouTube and leaving my wife home alone to take care of the business. So you can also find us, speaking of that, on YouTube. We have a channel. We put out new content every Sunday night at about 6 p.m. throughout what I would say is the fishing season in the Midwest. So June through December. This year, our season is pretty much filled for filming. So we might actually put some stuff out into June also this year. Or January. Sorry, June. I'm trying to skip right over show season, Brad. Forget that show season stuff. We'll go right (laughs) from December to June. So yeah, that's a Backlash podcast for tonight. 
Thanks, Brad, for being a co-host. Tell Carrie that her pay is docked, so she's going to have to... If she got a t-shirt, she's sending it to me, or she's putting it in your closet, one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, still still appreciate that. (laughs) And thank you, Ryan, for coming out. We appreciate you coming on. Hopefully, we can talk to you again in the future. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on, Jeff, and uh, we'll see you at the shows this winter, man. Sounds good. Take care.